Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And that's not Andrew, actually. Surprise. Wow. <laughs> for, for the audio-only <laughs> listeners, David just ripped his face off. <laughs> I ripped Andrew's face we off. We ripped Andrew's face off. Welcome, okay, David so and Mel, to you. Waveform episode 70. So uh, shout out to Andrew. He's out in the mountains right now, going mm. on fun hikes, climbing big rocks. Mm, I'm big sure rocks. having a good time. Yeah. But uh, we still have plenty of tech to talk about and figured we'd put it all in one place here. Um, our last episode was episode 69. Nice. There it is. And uh, we <laughs> took some time to do a, a fun little like game show type thing that we built. So it's a, sort of a tech trivia show. You can play along. It's about like tech and videos from the first half of the year. It's, it's a little more visual heavy for, for maybe for that one, go to the YouTube channel for it. But we're back with a bunch of tech to talk about. I kind of want to start with Windows 11 mm-hmm. because you said, are you running Windows 11? Not on, on this? this computer. This is actually Andrew's computer. I okay. left my Surface Book at home, sadly, okay. um, but I am running Windows 11 on my Surface Book. So it was just unveiled last week and now there's a build available for the public to actually download and try. I made a reaction video just like talking about my couple major thoughts on the new changes. It's very glassy and mm-hmm. shiny and transparent overall, the, the start menu centered. Mm-hmm. Now that you've used it for a little bit, maybe a day or two, have you found some things like super easy to get over or like really jarring or have you gotten used to all of it? How's it gone? A couple different things. I found that one, it sort of feels like Microsoft is trying to simplify everything with the UI. They're mm-hmm. trying to make it, from what I've gathered, it feels like they're they're moving the UI elements more towards feeling like a phone, which is pretty funny but Hmm. kind of makes sense, uh, especially for the generations that are growing up right now, if they want to onboard all of these, like, kids that have been using phones since they were born. Yeah, there's the the big pullover thing from the side, Mm -hmm. which is where all these widgets and AI news feeds live. Mm -hmm. Is that part of what you're talking about? It's that, and then everything's bigger and bubblier. Um, So, for example, in regular Windows 10, if you, like, click down on like there's all these icons in the bottom right with like battery management you can switch power modes and all these things 
Now you click and there's just like one set of quick settings that comes up. Okay. And they're they're all pretty big icons. They're individual and you can swap them out. It's almost like the quick settings menu on your phone. Yeah. And you can edit what's there and they're big. And then all the menus just look completely different. They're more simplified. Uh, they're definitely more aesthetically pleasing. Okay. And so I think it's definitely something Windows needed to do because they're kind of known for being very... Um, What's the word? I guess like focused on information heaviness and less on just UI and aesthetics. Yeah. And it just needs to, it just it needed simplification for people to be able to like know how to use it. Right. I also yeah. found weirdly that Big Sur also had a lot of elements that looked like they belonged, maybe not on a phone, but at least on a touch screen. Yeah. Like big touch targets, sliders, things that are like way bigger than they used to be. Yeah felt less like a computer and I wonder if that's kind of in the same vein. They're like, oh, well, there's going to be young people who are used to iPads. We'll make it look kind of like an yeah. iPad or other future things in mind. I don't really know. Um, centered start menu. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, I totally okay. I haven't gotten used to it yet, personally. Okay. Uh, I keep going to the left. You can move it. Right. So you can move it to the left if you want. I'm trying to get used to it before I move it. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit weird. I do like that the icons come up from the center. It right. feels more like it's being, you know, birthed from the center. <laughs> That's maybe a weird term, but like, yeah, it, everything like comes out of the center instead of having to like look around your screen. It was a it was a big focus <clears throat> of the event of like this whole centered theme. Yeah, of like it's gonna it's not only the center of the screen, but like it's the center of your life, <laughs> and it's the center of your environment. And Windows is now the center of this like I'm ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, I feel at home. <laughs> I'm oh home. man, we should have had Panos on. <laughs> that Windows been... Ten Home. Yeah, no, it's it. It makes sense to me. Anytime I go to Windows, I just hit the Windows button on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. So it would just be an aesthetic change for me. Instead yeah. of mousing to the corner, I would just hit the button and be like, yeah. oh, it's in the middle. But, yeah. you know, it's a small thing to get used to. Yeah. Um, for the last, like, year or two, they've been updating their icons to yeah. basically get ready for this. Yeah. And their new icon design, I think, is really good. It's very specific, very, like, you don't really get it confused with any other icons. Yeah. I um, like it. Yeah, me too. I like it. This the new store icon. But also, mm -hmm. speaking of the store, mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the biggest, most interesting parts of their announcement. Yeah, and I we should talk about it for a second. So, yeah. you can now. This is the headline. You can now run Android apps on Windows 11. Oh, cool, great. I don't know if I'm going to do that, <laughs> but like, okay, you know, makes sense. Lots of people who are used to a certain number of apps, they want to bring them everywhere they go. They can now use them on their Windows PC. Mm -hmm. Neat. Um, the the subtext to that headline is. Inside of the Windows Store, the way this is going to work is Microsoft has partnered with Amazon and Amazon's Android app App Store, which is not the same as the Play Store. It's a it's a big overlap, but it's mm -hmm. an Amazon App Store. Yep. Will surface results inside of Microsoft's store. Yep. So you have to want to search in the Windows Store in the Microsoft Store for apps. And then when you do, step you'll, one. <laughs> yeah. You, when you do, you'll find some Android apps in there. Let's say you want to install one. If you do, you'll have to be signed into your Amazon account and you'll have to have the Amazon App Store app on your PC. Yeah. So once that is all done, then you can download apps that were built for ARM chips and Android and yep. touchscreens mm -hmm. and put them on your PC. Yeah. Uh, do you care at all about this? Is oh, this are you even going to try it? I'm not I sure. I have I would care. so many thoughts about this. Okay. I, I, I tweeted about this because I was really like, this feels so hacky and convoluted and it kind of goes back to 
we use computers differently than we use phones, right? When you have a phone, you're used to going to the app store, downloading an app. Yep. Like you don't sideloading apps you can do on Android, but you only would really do it if like you're either trying to get it for free or you'd normally have to pay for it. Uh-huh. Um, not this is not legal advice. Yeah, um, <laughs> shouldn't actually do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, or if you it was like taken off of the Play Store or something and you wanted to get it. Yeah, um, that's that, pretty much the only. I do that all the time. Circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. So the whereas on a computer, yeah, sideloading on a computer is basically the default. Like you download apps from websites. Yeah, it's a, it's a different, interesting behavior. I'm trying to think of all the apps that I typically install. Like when I set up a new computer, whether it's a Mac or a Windows machine, I don't really go to the actual store mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Now on a Mac, I do a little bit more. Yeah. There's a little bit better curation and yeah. I get Slack and my to-do list and you know Final Cut and TweetBot all mm-hmm. from the store. Mm-hmm. But when I'm setting up a Windows machine, I'm going to the browser for pretty much everything. everything. For Slack, for that app, for yeah. Spotify, for that app, yeah. for you know my to-do list for the app. All these are things that I'm downloading from the web and I don't really go to the Microsoft Windows store no, ever. So no. is this an effort, I guess, for them to like make you more comfortable with the store, get you using the store more, even though they yeah. don't want it to take over the whole experience? 100%, I think so. Because like like I said before, um, you know, we're so used to like just going to an app store on our phones, whereas on our computers, and you said like, yeah, you maybe will download some apps off of the Mac app store. Mm-hmm. You still can download most apps from the website, right? The you browser. still can, yeah. And even on Android, uh, way back in the day, when you go to Amazon.com, it would be like, hey, we have a free app of the week on the Amazon App Store. You I should remember that. sideload. The, and like they encouraged you to sideload another app store onto your phone, which mm-hmm. now seems like weird. You would think Google would get really mad about that. Um, that might be an antitrust thing. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that you had to sideload the Amazon App Store onto your Android phone in the past, and they would kind of just like copy as many apps from the Play Store as they could onto the Amazon App Store. Yeah. And now you have to do that on your computer. It just feels so hacky, one. And then two, I really dislike that you need to have now a Microsoft account and an Amazon account to be able to run Android apps. Like like it's more of a it's more about principle. Like we all have both yeah, accounts. Yes. And it's fine. Yeah. But like the same way you needed a Facebook account to use an Oculus. Like, yeah. No, I, I don't want both. Exactly. Okay. And and then the other thing is that um, <laughs> we've tried, you know, running mobile apps on, on screens that were not made for mobile apps. Mm-hmm. Chrome OS supports Android apps. I like that for some reasons because... I never use them. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I really used that for was being able to upload photos to Instagram from my laptop, oh. which you can actually do in Chrome if you emulate a... Uh, tablet. A mobile device? Yeah. Okay. But if you like edit on your PC, then you want to just upload. Yeah. There are some like edge cases. Edge? Um, Edge. (laughs) But but at the same time, like the experience of using a mobile app on anything but a mobile device is really bad. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's not great. Like he showed TikTok on the screen and they just showed TikTok open, but I was like, go ahead, try to scroll. Yeah. You don't have a touch screen. (laughs) Go ahead. Then you're on the mouse. Like, you know, it's like not an ideal experience. Yeah. All these apps are built for finger input mm-hmm. so trying to replicate that with the touchpad on various windows laptops will be various different experiences yeah. so 
It is what it is. But I did see you, I think it was confirmed you'll be able to sideload Android apps, mm-hmm. I think straight yeah. up APKs yeah. right yeah. into Windows 11, which yeah. is pretty cool. Which is nice. So if I find like a Dark Sky clone somewhere on the dark web, I can install the <laughs> on APK. On the dark web, yeah. Uh, but that is that is the state of, yeah, the, the new store on Windows 11. I just, I don't know what Android apps that you would want to run on a computer that you couldn't, that there isn't a better alternative that you can just download from a website, you know? And like, I definitely think that this is a move for Microsoft to get more people comfortable with the Windows Store because they can take more revenue if you buy games directly off of the Windows Store than if you, you know, buy it on Steam. They don't get revenue from that. Yes, although they they did make a pretty big point in their presentation about like the choice developers have now, yeah. where you can go through Microsoft and I think they take a fifteen percent cut, so, or you can use yeah. your own payment system and right. they don't take a cut at all. Right, and they said it on stage yeah. because now that everybody knows Apple's taking a thirty percent cut, that's sort of a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, just making developers comfortable, making users comfortable. Check yeah. out how great this Windows Store is. It it's is really, everything. it is really interesting because like I want to immediately dismiss the idea that people will ever use the Windows Store at all ever <laughs> because I have never used it at all ever and mm-hmm. I don't plan to. But that said, like I said, with like pre like newer generations being more used to at the idea of app stores, yeah, if they come onto Windows devices and there is an app store, maybe they'll default to that versus the sideloading of downloading something from a website. Yeah, you know? and it'll have all the apps they already know. Yeah, and the other thing is that like Windows 11 is very geared towards, like they made a big deal of it being very touchscreen friendly, right? And this concerned me a little bit because uh, if we remember Windows 8, it was overtly <laughs> touchscreen friendly, so much so that desktop users got really put to the it was built for touchscreens. It was built for touchscreens. It's got screens. the tiles and everything, yeah. They made a big deal of this also being more built for touchscreens. I think it's a better kind of like uh, balance because they just made the touch targets bigger and yeah. like the UI doesn't actually really change when you switch to touchscreen mode, but it is easier to use. <laughs> yeah, so I, agree. I think it's a good balance. I'm just a little bit worried that they're going to like fall back into that cycle of like bad windows, good windows, yeah. bad windows, good windows. So I I, I agree. I think they they did make a nicer balance. I think, I hope they've learned their lesson. Like yeah. if we went to Windows 8 and then they got right to 8.1, like they yeah. made the changes they had quick. to. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, we have bigger touch targets, but it does still look like Windows, as far as I can tell, and, and I'm sure we'll find out more as this comes out eventually by mm-hmm. the end of the year, I mm-hmm. guess. But uh yeah, the, I think the, the last bit about Windows 11 I want to talk about was the, the confusion about what computers can actually update to Windows 11 <laughs> because there's a certain chip now. Oh, it was a mess. I guess, can we break it down as simply as possible? There's yeah. a chip yeah. that is in most modern PCs that is required to yeah. run Windows 11. Yeah. And if you, I think a lot of people just don't know if they have the chip or not yeah. or they've realized that their like three-year-old laptop doesn't have the chip or it isn't enabled and you yeah. have to go into the BIOS and yeah. enable it and then it'll it's work. Like, yeah. Um, I think a compatibility checker that handles all this stuff would be great it, if it just had blanket understood. They, ha- they have it. Okay. It it was broken for the first about week. Right. So so it's like the, this chip is called a TPM chip. It's a security module chip that is supposed to handle like lower level security stuff. Mm-hmm. Microsoft said you needed a TPM 2.0 chip, which only came out like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually in the system requirements, it said 2.0, but it's not actually required. 1.2 is required, which came out a long time ago. Okay. Almost every computer has a 1.2 chip. 
Um, the problem is the compatibility checker was Doesn't like, know. it was broken for multiple reasons. Like for one reason, it was saying you need a two when you actually only need a 1.2. And then the other thing was the BIOS thing. Whereas like, I think there, like you would, you would think that maybe everyone that wants to get on the insider build or like the like beta build of Windows 11 would know how to do stuff with their BIOS. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> that's not the case. There's a difference between beta testers and people that are like willing to like get really into the weeds. Get dirty in the, the BIOS and everything. Yeah. yeah. Which is, it's a scary thing to do because yeah. you can really mess up your computer. Yeah. So. All right. Well, anyway. I hope, I hope it gets simplified in the future. I'm yeah. looking forward to more testing of Windows 11. Yeah. Segway time. Speaking of uh, 11. Wow. I, I don't know what you're going to... The, well, the Xperia 1 Mark III has oh. nothing to do with 11. Well, it has a 1 and but it, it has, has a one in the three name. ones. It doesn't so have it's, two ones. So the name is two 11s, but then one of the... It gets... Mo- it left. Anyway. It walked away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the review of the Sony Xperia Mark III is yeah. now live on the channel. Hey. And I wanted to shout that out because this... I'm going to hold it up right now. This has got to be the most oddly put together set of flagship parts I've ever seen. Yeah. It it is it becomes uber enthusiast. It's like a really good phone. Yeah. I really enjoyed using yeah, this phone fantastic. except for the one weird auto rotate bug. Uh-huh. Um but I just want to just go over from the top to the bottom every weird decision they've made about this phone yeah, sure. and why it just seems like it's it's geared to be the lowest selling best phone they've ever made. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number 1, the name. It's a Sony Xperia 1 3. Okay. Yep. That's just Good luck explaining that. It's you can say Mark Three. Yeah. You can say it's the the third one. Whatever you want to say. <laughs> it's not a great name. Yeah. Um, but there it is. Sony Xperia One Mark Three. Two. This phone was announced in April, and it's been under embargo for a while since then. I've had this phone for about a month. Yeah. I got the phone, and typically this is what happens: we get a phone for review, and it's like, all right, well, when does it actually get like unveiled? When is the embargo up? It'll be in a week or so. And we'll have that amount of time to play with the phone. Sometimes it's two weeks. Nice. Mm-hmm. This one, it was like five weeks. We're like, okay, yeah. this is what happens is it gets announced, has some cool features, and then slowly the hype drains and the attention span forgets. Yeah. And then it quietly launches a month later. No one buys it. So, yeah, it is out now. Um, yeah. The screen the yeah. screen is the next one. Mm-hmm. So this is a high-end phone. It's got a Snapdragon 888, 12 gigs of RAM, Android 11. But the screen is a 21 by 9 4K OLED at 120 hertz. So it's a battery burner. Yeah. It definitely burns through battery, but it's 4K all the time, and you cannot change the resolution. <laughs> yeah. And that, to me, is kind of crazy. You yeah. can change the refresh rate mm-hmm. between 60 and 120. Um, would you even want a 4K phone or? It's one of those things that like they have those compatibility, like not compatibility checkers, but they have these grids online that you can look up. That's like, what resolution do you need for how far away you are from your device? Mm -hmm. And it's usually for TVs. And it's like, you only need 4K if you're sitting up this close, because then you'll start to see the pixels. Your phone is like six inches from your face. Yeah. So so I think that's why Apple did the whole retina display thing was because like, look, you're here. Yes. Um, you know, it's like at least you can toggle the 4K mode on in YouTube and know that it's giving you all the True pixels. 4K. Yeah. Um, but it it just feels like something they felt like they needed to do because they have the Bravia line of TVs. 
I would be fine with it. It's just you can't turn it down. Yeah. Like Sony put a, a yeah. 1440p screen in a lot of their phones and at any point you can just switch it to 1080p mode yeah. and you'll save battery life, you'll save power, you're pushing less pixels, performance will be yeah. better and you just know you have the ability to do that at any time. Mm -hmm. If you want 1440, turn it back up. Yeah. Now you can watch the video at full res. This phone is 4K, yeah. which would be a great option but you cannot turn it off. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if they'll add that with a software update or whatever, but I mean, it's a great looking screen, but like yeah. you said, if you're looking thinking about retina display, um, that's like 250 to 350 PPI is like pretty good. Yeah. This is a 640 plus PPI That's panel. insane. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, got, I mean, I gotta say, like I do appreciate high density displays. I remember when the LG G3 came out and it was like, it, it was the first 1440p phone. And it just oh. blew my mind. And they had all of these yeah. demos built into the phone that would just be like 1440p video and you could show your friends and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I like 1440p phones. I just find it hilarious because like Samsung, for example, who like when the Ultra came out, everyone was like, oh, but I want to run, you know, 1440p at 120 hertz. And they're like, haha, you can't do that. You can yeah. run 1080p at, at 120 hertz or you yeah. can run 1440p at 60 hertz. And yet Sony's just like, lol, nah, you you're going to do 4K, 4K all the time <laughs> at 120 hertz. No <laughs> choice. Like, oh my gosh. And you're going to like it too. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, this is, a, this is a really interesting choice and we'll see if that ever changes. But then also, okay, this phone also has a bunch, it's a nice design, it's matte black, it's kind of like soft touch, it's pretty mm -hmm. squared off, but it's got a, a ton of like these niche features that you just don't see combined to phones nowadays. Yeah. One, headphone jack. Yeah. Wow, nice. They added that in the two, by the way, in the Xperia 1.1. They didn't have it. 11, Windows 11. Um, uh, 1.1. 1.1. Uh, in the Xperia 1.1, they didn't have it, which was like, ugh, you know? Like, Sony, like, this is your chance. Yeah, exactly. So they yeah. added it back. Yes. It's still here. Yeah. Uh, there's this really nice haptic motor and this like sync where it'll like sync to the beat of your music and oh, vibrate yeah. the music, which is, yeah. Xperia you know. XZ2, they added that and it's kind of ridiculous, but whatever. It yeah. works. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful motor. I, I dislike when there's like a weak vibration motor and you like yeah. miss calls because of it. Yeah. Toolless SIM card tray. Sony's always had this and it's, it's so underrated for tech reviewers. So happy. Like I know people generally don't care, but it's so nice. And especially because they also have dual SIM and a micro SD card slot. Micro SD card expansion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you can add up to a terabyte of storage via micro SD. That's a dying breed. How many dying breed things do we have in here? There's a <laughs> LED notification <laughs> light on this phone. Yeah. You really don't see that very often. I remember when I had to like run Cyan Engine mod on my Galaxy or my was Nexus 6 to be able to enable the the LED notification. Oh, yeah, because it had one, yeah. but it didn't talk to any apps. Yeah. 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 That was a weird time. That was weird. Like, they were going to use it, and then they scrapped it, but you could, like, get it back if you ran your own custom ROM. Yeah, and then it would glow, like, green <laughs> for texts and yellow for Twitter and, like, yeah. blue for whatever. Like, yeah. that's, that was cool. Mm -hmm. um, this phone's got custom buttons, okay? <laughs> Gotta so love all it. the way on the right-hand side, power it. button and fingerprint reader. Yep. Volume rocker up here, which is nice. Uh -huh. Custom single button down yes. here just for Google Assistant. Yes. Very nice. Give me that. Very nice. I, I kind of wish there was a software toggle to continually make that whatever I want, but yeah. I would have made it Assistant anyway, so cool. Yeah. And then a separate camera toggle yeah. with a half press for focus and a full press to launch or take photos and videos. Yep. That is all like very unusual to find in oh, yeah. any other phone out there right yeah, now. Yeah. But I think the camera is where it gets the weirdest. Yeah. So we've got triple cameras on the back, uh, a regular, an ultra wide, and a telephoto. Yep. But the telephoto 
has two different focal lengths. Mm -hmm. And this was a, we were trying to figure out how they did this or, or, you know, what exactly is happening inside the phone. There are some Sony videos on their YouTube channel where you can see it's a, it's a periscope yeah. type lens. So it's sideways inside the phone, but there are glass elements moving inside the phone. So it'll snap between 70 millimeters and 105 millimeters. Yeah. In practice, it's not actually that big of a difference in zoom. That's yeah. like a 1.3x or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But it was just fascinating that it would actually do that and they actually spent the time to engineer such a unique solution inside the phone. Yeah. Um, do you think this has a future? Do you think this could be built by other companies? Do you think they'll keep doing this? Yeah, I could, I could see it as being a thing for sure. Uh, I think optical telephoto lenses are very important because like software is fine when you have really high resolution sensors and we do have really high resolution sensors. But again, you have all of these problems with high resolution sensors in smartphones because like, sure, but they're, they're not big enough. And then when you do make them big, you have a very small plane of focus. Yep. What Sony was trying to do with with this, and they started this in the Xperia 1-2, I believe, was like they want to have the holy trinity of lenses, which is a 16 to 24, a 24 to 70, and a 70 to 200. Okay. And so the idea is that there's a 16, there's a 24, and then in the t Mark II, there was a 70, and mm -hmm. you could zoom, you could do software crop between them. Yeah. This one, I think they're just trying to give you as much optical capability as possible. I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great idea, but I, I get a little nervous about this for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, um, I don't, so I, I was, I talked about this in the review video, but what Samsung did with dual aperture, yeah, where they, they had a really good idea. They were like, okay, we would like to be able to close down aperture because you can get more in focus. You can take sharper photos. There's all sorts of useful applications of it. And in the Galaxy S9, they had either a wide open or stop down. I forget what the f-stop was. Yeah, but it's like 4.4 or something. Yeah, versus yeah. like 1.8 or whatever yeah. wide open. And you could see it like snap close, yeah. snap open. And they they built that into the phone. I was like, that is super cool. Yeah. We literally have variable aperture in yeah. our main smartphone camera. Yeah. And the next year it was gone. <laughs> yep. And they never did again. And, and we could really use it We now. really could have used it because yeah. there's phones like the S21 that have the ultra shallow depth of field yeah. where if you could just stop down to f4 like every photo in daylight would look better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the fact that they never brought it back despite being super useful it makes me nervous that this yeah. might never show up in another phone again yeah it's just a gimmick nobody's gonna buy the phone sony's gonna realize all the r d money was for nothing and then it's gone yeah so i'm nervous about that yeah. it might happen it might not um but the other thing is like it's it's not that great of a camera sadly yeah. it's a you yeah. know sony's made like great improvements with their software and yeah. obviously sony makes alpha cameras and they've yeah. made really good cameras in the past and so this is really good fast autofocus and really cool having a dedicated shutter button and all, all the advanced modes and everything 20 fps burst mode mm -hmm. it's great mm -hmm. uh, i never miss a shot there's like no shutter lag but then the, the shot i get is like meh yeah you know, a little too shallow a little yeah. bit muted so it is what it is the phone itself though uh, very nice. I'll show this on the podcast, even though I did it already on the video. Uh, world's slowest auto rotate. I've never seen anything like this in any other phone. Ready? Wow. It takes a good four seconds. Yeah. It's a, we actually <laughs> timed it yesterday on average. It was almost three. And then yeah. one time it took seven. Yeah. <laughs> and as a person, I know not everybody, some people just lock auto rotate and never use it and don't care. But yeah. as a person who does rotate stuff all the time, I watch a lot of videos. 
it got very annoying. Yeah. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Maybe they'll fix that with software. But Sony Xperia 1 Mark III, 1200 bucks. If you, if you can get over that, then you'll have the world's, maybe not the world's first variable aperture or variable <laughs> zoom, but yeah. a couple really impressive things, 4K screen and a nice smooth Android experience. Yeah. Yeah, they're good. Their UI is really good. I think I think we were talking about this yesterday. It's like I think the S like the S twenty one Ultra at twelve hundred dollars is a best a better overall package for people who care about the things that most people care about. Yeah, but if you're like a hardcore, just like I want the best everything. Yeah, then like these are really good phones. Yeah, I would say I would argue the S twenty one Ultra for the same price will give you all better cameras. Yeah. They will give you a better screen despite not being 4K because yeah. it's bigger, much brighter. Yeah. They would give you better software. They mm. would give you better battery life. They would give you faster charging and yeah. they'd probably give you more software updates. But if you care about the things that Sony does, yeah. if you care about the dual <laughs> stereo front-facing speakers, yeah, which is, the expandable storage that Samsung doesn't have, the headphone yeah. jack, the LED notification light, like all these yeah. crazy enthusiast things. It's your boy. I always used to say the Xperia ones are the R slash Android phone. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. We haven't uploaded the video yet as of the recording of this now, but this is this is where I expect people to care about this phone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. All right, yep. let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk dancing robots. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this show comes from NetSuite, and that's exactly what NetSuite provides, support. But what they really provide is support where you need it, because no one needs help where they don't need it. So NetSuite wants to provide you with products and services that are tailor-made for your business. Help where you need it. NetSuite is a top-rated cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash waveform. That's netsuite.com slash waveform, netsuite.com slash waveform. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. 
You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. All right, welcome back. So did you see the Boston Dynamics new video on their YouTube channel? I did. I love these videos, Yeah, I gotta say. And yeah. it gets a mixed reaction in the studio. I have it here in the notes that I think Adam wrote, this is how the world ends. I, I'm not so down on these. I, I'm kind of into the idea of like robots being able to do all sorts of crazy things. So I'm just gonna describe the video real quick <laughs> for those who are listening. Yeah. Uh, picture Spot, the Boston Dynamics robot that we've done a video with, with a, about a three foot gooseneck yeah, robot the, the, attachment the neck the, the, yeah the neck attachment one is the one that freaks me out the most yeah it's kind of it looks like it's a <laughs> it's like a face on top of the robot on a neck and then picture like seven of them all doing a <laughs> choreographed dance extremely precisely yeah. i might add yeah. with like obviously very robotic movements but also like a pretty good amount of rhythm yeah so yeah good for them this is like i tweeted about this i was like this is a this is a whole job yeah. Like it's somebody's job at Boston Dynamics to choreograph a dance. They they get probably free access to like, I'm going to need seven robots this week and a Bluetooth speaker. And I'm going to make something happen. Yeah. And then they get to do it. What, what were your thoughts watching the video when we first saw it? I always, they're they're fun. They're yeah. definitely very fun. Yeah. Um, I think they're equally, equally scary. Come on. I, I look. <laughs> <laughs> You seen Black Mirror, okay? Uh-huh. Like there's an episode and they've referenced this before where mm -hmm. they have robotic dogs who are chasing down people in like a post-apocalyptic world. And I I think the stuff that these robots can do is insane and like they have the humanoid ones too that dance and they're it's great. They can do they freaking do. like backflips. The humanoid like, ones are a little creepy. Yeah, a little creepy. They're very RoboCop. So here's why I'm not creeped out really by them. Uh -huh. Is because I know that they are all programmed to do exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Like when we go into do a robot shot with Mia, like yeah. obviously Mia doesn't look like it doesn't have these anthropomorphic features. Like yeah. it doesn't have arms and legs, mm -hmm. like like Spot the dog or like the upright one, wherever whatever it's called, <laughs> yeah. uh, Atlas or whatever. Atlas, yeah. Um, so it's Mia. So it just sits there holding a camera. 
but it only does exactly to the T what we just told it to do and only does it when we tell it to do it, right? Yes, yes. So even though it looks anthropomorphic like a dog with a neck dancing in front of me in synchronization, yeah. it would be very creepy if they decided to do that by themselves. Yeah. But I know watching that, that a very skilled programmer is responsible for starting all the moves at the same time and yeah. building the moves so that it looks like they're doing it in sync. That's the most impressive part to me is someone had to decide like on beat, like how I'm going to make this robot move to make it look like it's dancing. So yeah. I see that. I'm like, wow, good for the program. Like, what that's I, awesome. What I said in Slack is, will you be saying the same thing when it's dancing on your grave? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I, I see the move and I'm like, wow, that's very cool. But there's, there's no way it does things it's not programmed to do. And like, that was a, a really funny Michael Reeves video we've talked about before where he like programmed it to like find a, a bucket and pee in it because it had like <laughs> yeah. you know all these yeah, sensors yeah, he put yeah. attached to it like that's yeah. funny but yeah it only does what you're what it's probably yeah i mean do. i think like the the i the, the dancing is fine right the dancing is great and i think that because they're so precise like michael even said like this is cg right because their precision and their timing with each other is so exact that it almost feels fake because human movement is so not perfect. Yeah, if you've ever seen like synchronized uh, swimmers or mm -hmm. synchronized dancing or whatever, there's always just a tiny little bit of, yeah. of like And your subconscious will notice that. Yeah, I wonder if they'd programmed a slight delay or a slight variance, <laughs> if that would have been more realistic looking. I don't know if they want the realism though. It's like, it's like when Spot is in his like default mode and he's doing the thing with his legs where he's just going back and forth. Yeah. It like, doesn't feel right it's because too it, precise. it's so precise. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I enjoy it. And like, I I think these are great demos of like. Keeps I them think, in the news for sure. Yeah, it keeps them in the news. It's good PR. Yeah. And it's just, it's just more friendly things that yeah. the robot can clearly do. Yeah. I think one of the things we were wondering about is like, does, does Boston Dynamics have the biggest delta between how good their image can be and how bad their image could be. Probably. Because, because <laughs> yeah. you know, once in a while you get a weird headline of like, yeah. here's the police using a robot dog in New right. York City and you're like, what? Yeah. I've seen this robot dance. Now it's like guarding. Like, I don't like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, like, yeah, don't yeah. don't combine those things. Yeah. So, well, yeah, no. I think they they keep themselves in a pretty good eye yeah. and it's it's clearly gets more capable every year. Like, yeah. if you look, if you scroll down on their YouTube channel, look at their old videos, yeah, they probably Those look like look, crap now. They look rough yeah. in the past. The no yeah. pun intended. That's yeah. a dog pun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm happy for them. Yeah. No, I mean, um, and Hyundai bought them now. That's something I don't yeah. know if we talked about yet. Yeah, that was the the last weird part of this was uh, it was a, a BTS, BTS collab. collab. And I was trying to figure out why on earth they chose that. Um, BTS, the, the band... The K-pop band collabs group, with yeah. a bunch of other Korean tech companies all the time. They yeah. collab with Samsung all the time. Yeah, all the time. And so that was the connection is uh, Hyundai's Korean. Hyundai just bought Boston Dynamics. all of the company yeah. or a stake I in it. I think all of it. If not, probably a majority stakeholder. Yeah. So which is kind of crazy because like they were owned by Google for a while and then SoftBank bought them from Google and now SoftBank sold it to, bought, okay. to Hyundai. So now they're obviously pretty tight with hyundai they have 80 percent okay yeah so yeah that's so hyundai's like yeah we'll do a, a bts dance video <laughs> with the robots that's that's the natural thing we do to celebrate because we live in the future now yeah <laughs> so it's beautiful yeah yeah uh i just okay just like 
don't put guns on the dogs and then we'll be okay. <laughs> That's the only thing. I think there's a department at Boston Dynamics in charge of making sure no one does anything too crazy. Yeah, true. Yeah, for now. All right. Well, now we have some we have some Patreon, some creator economy news to talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, I like to think I'm I'm pretty plugged into the creator economy. I've talked to a lot of fellow creators, and obviously we we have internal dialogue and discussions about this stuff all the time. Um, but we have a note here that Jack Conti, the CEO of Patreon, right, yeah. creator of Patreon, um, did an interview with Neilai on the Decoder podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but you have. Mm-hmm. But there are some notes about. Some things he brought up on the creator the creator economy and stuff he talks about with uh, the thirty percent Apple tax. Yeah, you want to break it down? Yeah. So, so if you've been following um, the news with us, especially with Epic and Apple, mm-hmm. uh, basically Apple will take thirty percent of any transaction that is made uh, through an app that is on their platform, basically. And they got mad at Epic because Epic was trying to sell Fortnite skins with like a workaround way so that Apple didn't get the 30% cut. Yep. Apple says, well, we're providing both the service, the giant platform that basically created the, the, the entire app market. And also we have all these like security and safety protocols involved to make sure that you're safe and you don't get malware and we have to protect our users. And that just kind of created this whole conversation on like, what do platforms like, what are they owed? You know, Google takes like 30% as well. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of created this whole antitrust thing. And now, like we talked about earlier, Microsoft made a point. It was almost a dig at Apple with Windows 11 on the Windows Store saying, we're not going to take any money if you have your own platform, you know, payment system. Yeah. And now it feels, and like Facebook's doing the same thing. Like they just released their own like newsletter service and they're doing a similar thing where like until you make a certain amount of money, it's going to be, you're going to get all the revenue. Like, mm-hmm. so now it almost seems like people are competing for, we're giving creators as much possible um, like revenue from what they're making as possible. Music to my ears. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, competition is good. Competition is good. That's actually a main point that Jack was making um, in the Decoder podcast was Neilai was saying was talking about like this antitrust stuff. He's like, what do you think about it? And and Jack was like, well, you can kind of see like as more platforms compete with each other to give creators more revenue, because like creators are the content and content is king. Mm-hmm. And when you are providing all of the content for a service, like you think about Twitter, if Twitter didn't have users, it wouldn't be a product. Yeah, I think about this all the time. Uh, we use the word platform. Yeah. And when I think of a physical platform, a platform is r- raised up above the rest. Mm-hmm. And so something being on that platform gives it a visibility it wouldn't have if it wasn't on the platform. Right. And so if you think of something like Twitter, for example, as mm-hmm. a platform, it's like, okay, yes, if I just want to share my thoughts about bacon whatever. Yep. Uh, I could just write them and email them to a bunch of people and then hope they share that. And then, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe only five people read it. But if I tweet it, that platform could rise it to people searching for tweets about bacon or people yep. who follow my account or people who share things with other enthusiasts about mm-hmm. bacon. Mm-hmm. The point is the platform is benef- is a benefit to everyone on it. Yeah. The other half of that is 
the platform is nothing without the stuff on it. Yeah. So if you're Twitter, if no one tweets, <laughs> yeah. it's not much of a platform. <laughs> what, is, what is your service? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you can build an amazing platform in discovery, but you need the content creators mm -hmm. to actually complete the cycle yeah. and make this thing work. So yeah, YouTube is another huge example, which is like, totally. if you want to make videos on the internet that people see, there is only really one place that mm -hmm. you can guarantee the maximum number of people see it, mm -hmm. and that's YouTube. And so YouTube's in this phenomenal spot where it's like, hey, we are the reason people see your stuff. Yeah. But on the other hand, creators of that content are the only reason YouTube got to where it is today. Yeah. So I think about that dynamic a lot, and I'm curious if, you know, how Patreon sort of fits in as a puzzle piece of that. Yeah, I think the dynamic has shifted a lot. Uh, first of all, because this idea of like creator economy didn't really used to be a thing. This idea that like everyone is a creator, everyone is unique, everyone I've is heard kind of a product. The words have been said a lot in the last year or two. Yeah, <laughs> creator it's, economy. It's blown up a lot because I think in the past these services saw themselves as like, hey, we're a product. You're gonna use our product, and like the creators or the in or people that have Twitter accounts are just using the product. Mm -hmm. But there there wasn't this mindset shift of like oh, the people on your platform are making the platform make you money, right? right? And so now, because more people are become are coming online, more people are becoming more creative and like trying to market themselves as creatives uh, and drawing more people to the platform, more cre creatives are kind of like demanding, not demanding necessarily, but like needing more revenue from the things that they are helping, the service they are helping lift up, right? Yeah. Like you said, if YouTube didn't have like these big channels, then they wouldn't really be a platform. So, but anyway, the whole Patreon thing, really interesting because Patreon's been around for a very long time. Yep. Um, Jack Conti was very early to this, and I've listened to like every interview that he's ever done. I've listened, I've like watched all his videos, and he's been like beating this drum forever that like eventually we're gonna get to this point where everyone can make a living doing what they love because of scale. Because when you have the internet and you have like a thousand people that like love what you do, if they will give you a dollar a week, which is very little for them. Like we have this idea of like subscription service and like oversaturation slash anxiety with like oh, yeah. YouTube premium and like HBO Max and like, sure. Uh, but we're kind of tailoring our lives now to everything being a subscription service. The cool thing though about- Are we doing that on purpose or is that just the way the world's shifting? I think shifting? it's just the way the world's shifting. I think there are benefits to it. It's like if you subscribe to a cable subscription before but you only watch two channels, yeah. why are you paying $30 when you can pay $2? Right. You know, so it's like- So you're sort of, you're, we're breaking down like more individualized subscriptions yeah. instead of just like, you know, instead of iCloud Plus or whatever it's called with 10 different services, mm -hmm. I'm going to pay for just the two or three things I need. Right. And I'm overall going to benefit more from paying right. less. Right, right. Okay. But now, if you're like a super fan of something, right, mm -hmm. and you like you want you just want to absorb and eat up everything that that creator is making, whether it's music, whether it's videos, whether it's, you know, podcasts, like anything, you're able to throw a dollar, five dollars at somebody so you allow a lot yourself like a $300 budget for like subscription entertainment. And it because of scale, because the internet is so massive and you can allot so many fans so quickly as a creator, even if only a thousand people, you have a thousand core audience members, which is fairly easy to get now, right? Yeah. Like in the past, that was very difficult. Now it's pretty easy to get a thousand people to give you $1 like a month or a week. Interesting. Yeah. You can like, 
make your living. You can exist as a human because everyone is trading money around in micro doses. Right. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and keep chatting. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I think that, yeah, the, the fact that we see so many more subscriptions out there now is probably a big reason for this. Like, I think Jack probably seemed pretty early because back then it was like, if I pay $10 a month, for Netflix, mm-hmm. why would I give any one person five dollars a month? Right. What? How could they possibly create that much value for yeah. me? One Netflix yeah. is ten dollars a month, right? But now there's so many different things that we pay a subscription fee for, not just cable, but like I pay for YouTube TV. I also pay for YouTube Premium. Mm-hmm. I also pay for Spotify. That's like nine, ten dollars a month. Mm-hmm. I also pay for this and that. And there's all there's like all these different subscriptions that I think deliver their value. Yeah basically per month. And a lot of those may be creators whose YouTube channels I've subscribed to and have joined the the club on. And yeah. I, like I pay them a couple bucks a month. Yeah. And that's because I'm not just supporting them, but I'm getting more out of it. And so now there are so many subscriptions happening mm-hmm. that it's a more natural reaction to be totally willing to pay one, two, five dollars a month to yeah. an individual because right. we're just doing that all the time now. Yeah. So yeah, that 300 bucks a month Budget probably seemed a little high back in the day. Mm-hmm. Today, probably seems pretty reasonable. Because if you break it down, like in the past, like a lot of that was going towards your cable bill and you only use two of those channels. And if you can break down everything into just like micro payments, you're going to still be paying a similar amount of money, but it's just more tailored to you. There's a more personal, like, I am helping this creator make a living. Like it feels very personal. There's a connection there. Yeah. There's a connection there. Um, and and also I think people are starting to realize like <laughs> coffee costs five dollars and I get that every day. You know, and it's like true. What what is the value of one cup of like just not getting a coffee one day and then I can pay five creators? That's yeah, it's so funny. That's when pretty you, dope. When you like <laughs> compare the value of things, like if yeah. I pay ten bucks a month for Netflix and I pay how much if you do, if you buy a five dollar coffee twice a week every month, that's forty. That's that's a lot more than Netflix. Oh, yeah. like, what am I getting out <laughs> of this a coffee? Lot more, exactly. So yeah, maybe yeah. Netflix seems underpriced now instead of overpriced. Yeah. The point is, yeah, yeah, we the creator economy thing, I think, you know, I've I don't really talk about it that much, but I feel like the the scale of things, the way they've ballooned over time makes things like YouTube feel more like a fabric that we exist yeah. in rather yeah. than like a structure of a platform. Mm-hmm. Where now, uh yeah, anyone who shares something that they love or something that they make can accumulate enough people who will just be within this fabric and drawn to that thing yeah. that they can eventually make that what they do. And yeah. that's it. Like before, like TV, 
super structured to me. Mm-hmm. Like there are channels and there are shows and there are ad slots that support the, sh- the channels and the shows and everything is very much like- What's on built, is on. It's built a certain way, yeah. yeah. And if you want to be a TV news anchor and that's what you wanna do, then there's a path you follow. And then if you land here at this company, then you can you can be part of this structure. Exactly, and, yeah. where on YouTube, it's like, I don't really have to pick a channel or pick a a news network. I can just do what I want to do. And this fabric will sort of find you instead of being siloed into these things. So we're all kind of connected in that way. Um, Just reachability too. Like remember when Gangnam Style hit, it was the first billion dollar view video. Billion views, yep. Uh, Sorry, not billion dollar view. First first video with a billion views. And it was fast too. It It was like a month or two. And But but. The when that happened, all the headlines were like, "Oh my gosh, a video on the internet can get a billion views." How many videos have a billion views now? A lot, a lot. A lot. Because you've got this like growing like there's a lot of kids now that are just very online, mm-hmm. and they like they use YouTube as their main entertainment source. And like you said, it's become almost a fabric of society. And I was thinking about this the other day, like Twitter now is part of the fabric of society like there are major like nations make statements on twitter that can affect oh, yeah. global global geopolitics and like all this stuff yeah crypto crypto <laughs> <laughs> um okay but bring bring it back to the point of this new story the point of the decoder episode that mm-hmm. kind of like made the reason this made headlines was that okay so patreon is a very old platform right it's been around for a very long time it was like really early YouTube is like when Patreon got started. And the cool thing is like Patreon got started just a little background because Jack Conti and his wife are musicians. And I, I watched their videos. Yeah. At, they were on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted to fund their band. With, they wanted their band to be like their full-time thing. But they're like, how do we do this? And Jack had created this music video that he put his like blood, sweat, and tears into. He spent all of his money in his bank account to make this music video where he was like inside the Millennium Falcon. Like he built a cockpit in his garage. All of this stuff. And he was just like, this is so unsustainable because I got he got a million views on YouTube with that video, which is amazing. But he got like $300 in revenue. Hmm. And he spent multiple thousands. So he was like, I want to do music full time. How do I do this? And he came up with this idea of creator economy that it's, he was so early to it. But the point is, he was so early and it was very early in YouTube that like when you sign up for a Patreon page, you're not generally in the Patreon app doing discovery, right? Because like a lot of the reason that that Apple or Google says you owe us 30% is because they're get, they're creating the discovery platform, mm-hmm. whereas Patreon is such a different thing because when you subscribe to a Patreon account, it's not discovery-based. You already know that you really like this creator. You're willing to give them 3 5 $10 a month because you want to see extra content from them. You want to have that personal relationship yeah. with them. And that's the only reason you're on that site right now. Exactly. It's, it's not a discovery-based platform at no. all. It's like, I love this person. I want to give them my money. And so because of that, generally people signed up for Patreon accounts on the web. And so you would go on a website, you go to the specific Patreon page, and you would say, hey, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to give you $5 a month. Now, the they do have an app, obviously. Um, but what Neil I asked him was like, so is Apple taking 30% of every Patreon subscription? Because like, you know, if, if people like sign right. up in the app... And uh, because there was this whole le- battle with Spotify where... And Netflix, Spotify and Netflix, like 
for a bit, Spotify offered, hey, if you sign up for our account in the app, it's $12.99 a month. If you sign up on Spotify.com, it's $9.99 a month. Right. Literally, that's the difference. And Netflix, I believe, still doesn't have, you still can't sign up for a Netflix account in the Netflix app. Right. You have to go on the web right. for that reason. So Neil, I was like, is Apple taking 30%? Like, how are you getting around that? And he was like, um, no. <laughs> huh. And so Neil, I was like, that's weird. Like, why haven't they come after you yet? Because there's actually this other platform um, that is similar to Patreon uh, where Apple did go after them recently. And they're a very small company. So it's kind of weird that, like, hmm. Patreon hasn't been hit with this yet. Yeah. Um, Jack Conti has, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he's ready to face that legal challenge. Like when Neil I brought it up, he seemed like a bit like, I don't, that's not really something I want to deal with because I just want to like help people make yeah. money. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's interesting. And it's basically going to be this thing of like, how hard is, is Apple going to crack down on all platforms? You know? Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I think part of what, what you were saying too about that of like, Okay, Patreon is not necessarily a discovery platform. Yeah. This is something uh, p- uh, people are talking about with OnlyFans, too. It's like, mm. when you yeah. get to OnlyFans, mm-hmm. someone else funneled you there. Yeah. It's not like you're, br- I guess, I don't know. But I- I'm imagining people aren't <laughs> browsing around there. OnlyFans looking for things. They're not browsing around Patreon yeah. finding yeah. things. It's because someone sent them to their Patreon. Yeah. So I wonder if the the ideal future of something like Patreon is actually being more a part of the fabric of this discovery that we have on YouTube, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if they ever want to be part of YouTube, but wouldn't it be ideal if you could say, hey, if you would like to support what I do, there's a a couple buttons right below this video for you to just immediately like become a member. Obviously, YouTube has channel memberships already, but if you could really be- Never really took off though. Never really took off and I don't, I don't know if there's any good reason for it because it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. They've put tiers in now, different price levels, different rewards, mm. but it's the same thing where it's yeah. like you can you can be a part of that discovery because YouTube will send you places based on where it thinks you want to go. Yeah. And then when you arrive there, you'll have someone going, hey, if you like more of what I do, you can get more. You can support me here. Yeah, yeah. That seems like actually an ideal future I don't really Patreon. know why it didn't take off. Yeah, it's strange. Hmm. Patreon specifically, at the very end of the podcast, he mentioned that they specifically don't really want, they, they don't want to be a platform. I think that's the difference is that, like like he said, they're not a discovery platform. Mm-hmm. They want to be like just a way for creators to get paid. And because of that, they don't actually host content. They don't host video. They don't host uh, uh, like a mail delivery service. So like they specifically partner with these other platforms these other services that creators are already using so when you have patreon exclusive video content it's hosted through a vimeo plugin when you have patreon exclusive uh music it's hosted through like a soundcloud plugin when you have patreon exclusive email lists it's hosted through a mailchimp plugin like they do not really host content they're just a way for people to get paid and they wanted to do that specifically because it's as soon as you start hosting content that all of this stuff gets murky, right? right. There's the reason that like there's all that um, there's a lot of discussion that like Twitter needs to be 
held accountable for what its users post and that whole like section. The legal part, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. And so I think they're just trying to avoid that because they're just like, we really just want people to get paid. Yeah. I also yeah. think they might be incentivized if if that was a part of their like new business that say, oh, we'll do exclusive content built into Patreon. It would actually be good for their business to shuffle people around and discover other Patreon things that they can also subscribe to. Yeah. So you'd want people to, you eventually become a site that wants people to stay on Patreon as long as possible yeah. to make Patreon as much money as possible because yeah. you're going and bouncing around to different creators on Patreon rather than just like this very direct relationship between yeah. the creator and one Patreon site. Yeah, I do think they understand that it's very difficult to be like, you might like this person. Do you want to give them a monthly fee of $5? Yeah, like, it's tough. It's tough. Like, we grew up in this era where, like, as soon as the iPhone and the, like, iPod Touch came out, most apps were free. So f our generation is not used to paying for online content. The music thing is the number one is like the biggest shift I've seen. I remember back in the day on iTunes, it was like yeah. I, a new album comes out and it's like, all right, the whole album's 10 bucks, but I only like three songs from the album. I'm going cents. to buy these three songs yeah. for 99 cents each and they're in my library and I make the tough choice of never listening to any of the rest of those songs again. <laughs> Which is a horrible idea, by the way. Yeah. But Oftentimes the, first, the songs you hate the most that's true. end up being the best songs on the album. That's true. So, but now, like, yeah. if you bring that up to, like, my, you know, teenage cousins, they're like, you paid for one song? Right. Are you kidding? <laughs> you paid a dollar? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, now they're just so used to being subscribed to Apple Music, subscribed mm -hmm. to Spotify, where you have access to a library yeah. for a fee, and that's the service you get for paying every month. And yeah. the second you stop paying, guess what? Nothing is available no to more. you. Yeah, and that's totally fine, and that's a that's a version that everyone is just basically accepted yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're just kind of building off of that like new philosophy of like, yeah, yeah this service provides value to me, and the second it doesn't anymore, can I can just not it have it anymore. Yeah, which so. I I think is a good way forward. There are a lot of people that are very against not owning what you oh yeah, what you view, what you listen to. I totally totally understand that as well. But in this world that is moving like so internet focused that you don't really need an office in a lot of for a lot of jobs anymore. Yeah. You can live anywhere you want. Just being able to have as much stuff digital as possible so that you don't have as much physical weighing you down, I think is a great thing. Yeah. Here's um, a yeah. Here's a random question to tie this up for sure. a subscription mindset. Yeah. I was going to phrase it one way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to the extreme. Okay. <laughs> Would you pay a subscription for access to your car? So instead of buying your car, would you pay $25 a month for a Tesla Model 3? You mean a lease? Mm, it's less than a lease because you're just paying for access to it. Yeah. It'd probably be more, it'd be way more than $25 a month. Let's say, let's say 200 bucks a month uh -huh. for access to the car. And the second that you don't pay it anymore, you don't have it, but yeah. you can cancel at any time. Yeah. You also have to pay insurance. Would that be yeah, worth it to a you? A thousand percent. I, I mean, personally, uh, for people who know me, I have major commitment issues. So <laughs> even getting an apartment was uh -huh. like extremely stressful for me because right. I love the idea of just like one day I'm like, you know what? 
today I want to live in Iceland. Oh, so it's an advantage for you to not have to own it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Owning big physical things is scary. Because I was going to say, like, you own the car. Would you pay 20 bucks a month for autopilot? And if you ever stop paying, then you don't have it anymore. I mean, and that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. And people really don't like that. It's like, I own my car. It has software on it. I own the car. Mm. I use the software, period. Yeah. Don't make me pay over and over again for the thing I already own and bought from you. But yeah. if they, if you just take it all the way to the extreme of yeah. like, well, you don't own your car, <laughs> but you can use it like you own it until you stop paying. Yeah. That would be fine. I'd be fine with not owning my car. I don't think a lot of people would. I don't think any, everyone would. The autopilot thing, it again, it's going to depend on, I know this is a little like, <laughs> we're going over here, but this yeah. is like a little bit like, autopilot right now costs $10,000. Yep. If they made it 30 bucks a month, you're basically weighing like how long am, do I think I am going to have this car? Is is a bet? Is it a better deal for me to have it temporarily? Yeah. Will it math. affect the resale value? All this. It's it's a math thing. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that a lot of people are okay with like paying very little amounts monthly instead of paying a lot now and then having this physical burden on them. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. We sort of talked about. A, a spectrum of things. We hit the Boston Dynamics thing. We hit Xperia 1 Mark III. We talked Windows 11. Yeah, um, that's actually a lot of topics. It is kind of a solid variety. I didn't really have very good segues today because they're they're just not really related in any good ways. Um, but David, thanks for joining me on the podcast. If you want to find other things David does, where should they find you? Um, well, my Twitter is at DervidAmil on Twitter. That's pretty much my main platform where I say a lot of things. Um, it's part of the fabric of your existence. The fabric of my personality uh obviously you can also find things i do on here and then uh davidamel.com is my website but sick you know i update that every now and then word we'll yeah. be, you will be back for sure yes awesome yes all right thanks for listening thanks for subscribing on the waveform youtube channel if you haven't already and if you leave any comments make sure you leave suggestions for things we should talk about or even do in future episodes that's been it thanks for watching Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music is produced by Vane Sill. Mm -hmm.